We thank you that you have given us this day. Thank you for the Lord's day, the day that you were resurrected on, Lord. And thank you that we can come together as the body of Christ to study your word and pierce into it and comprehend what you have for us through your word. Help us all to be good and diligent students, taking seriously your word. Um, Even in our devotional times, may we uh, study the word a little bit more in depth and take what we have been learning in this hermeneutics class and applying it to our, our reading each and every day. Lord, help us to be workmen, approved. Help us to rightly handle the word of truth, for that's what it is. And thank you for the Gospels. Thank you for four of them, which really magnify the person and work of Jesus Christ. Help us to be more intentional as we, as we study the Gospels. And uh, just thank you for this class and for the rest of our service today. May it be for your glory and honor and uh, for the good of the fellowship as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so today, as you can see, we're in the part three of interpreting the Gospels. We're also going to be eventually looking at the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at particular genres of the Old Testament. A few weeks ago, we looked at the New Testament epistles or letters, and the particulars that you have to understand from these various genres, what to look for so you can better read them, comprehend them, and interpret them. Now, in terms of the Gospels, we have to understand how to read them. They are lengthier. There are a lot of details. There's history. There's geography. There's theology. There are discourses. There are characters, uh, real people. There's a lot to take in when we are looking at the Gospels. But I believe that when we look at our material today, you'll see that there are some very simple, manageable ways to interpret the Gospels. Um, The first question that we are asking today is how we should read the Gospels, how we should read the Gospels. And there are two things that I want us to focus on as we understand how to read the Gospels. Number one, one of the things that we have to realize that as the gospel authors wrote, what are the gospels essentially about? What is the main theme of the gospels? There are these smaller units, pericopes, passages, events, and stories, but what is the primary dominating theme of all four gospels? Who can shout that out? Jesus, right? Jesus Christ. The gospel writers are putting Christ on display through these historical narratives. It's ultimately about him. Of course, it's about us as well because we are learning about Christ. We are learning how to apply his teachings to our life. We are learning how the history of Christianity relates to us as these stories were told 2,000 years ago, but ultimately, the big picture of the Gospels is Jesus Christ. So as you are reading each episode found in the Gospels, what you primarily and first want to look at and look for is what does this episode tell us about Jesus? What does this episode tell us about Jesus? We're going to explore that a little later, 
But there's so much, it never gets boring studying Jesus. You're looking at who he is. You're looking at his humanity. You're looking at his divinity. You're studying his teachings, his theology, the doctrine that he teaches through his discourses. You're looking at how people respond to him as the Son of God. You're looking at the primary purpose for which he came, his death, burial, and resurrection, which takes up a huge chunk of all four Gospels. So what you want to look for first and foremost, before you even look at, well, how does this apply to me? Um, what does this say about Jesus? I preached through most of Mark before, and it's profound just to see in every single episode you can learn something different about Christ in each one. So as you take the magnifying glass and look at each episode, what is this episode telling me about Jesus? And you want to look at the specific details in that text that relates it. Remember when we were talking about the New Testament epistles a few weeks ago, that the epistles are not a systematic theology, it's not a biblical doctrine book where it's systematized and it's teaching you through each doctrine such as, you know, soteriology, eschatology, theology proper, Christology, and so forth. You have to look at the details of the text to detect what theological principle is embedded in this passage that you are reading. So look for what the passage is saying about Jesus in that episode, okay? So like today, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 4 where Jesus tells the waters to calm down, tells the storm to stop. What is that Mark 4 passage telling you about Jesus, okay? And then the next thing you want to do, as you see, you look at each episode, but then the bottom part is saying, what is the gospel writer trying to communicate to his readers by the way he connects these stories? So not only do you want to isolate one passage and not look at the surrounding context, but you also want to look at the surrounding passages and how the writer is using those surrounding passages to tell you about Jesus. What is the overarching theme that the writer is trying to tell you. All right, so look at the singular episode and then look at the context, the surrounding context. Of course, you want to know the bigger context. It's kind of like concentric circles. You have the bullseye, the smaller circle. That's the, that's the top part. What does this episode say? And then you have the next circle. What does the surrounding context tell me? And then you have the other circles. What is this entire gospel telling me and how does this fit in with the rest of scripture? Now, let's apply this. Let's look at a specific example. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 10 and this will help us understand what I'm trying to say here. Luke 10, verses 38 to 42, a familiar passage. Luke 10, 38 to 42. And that's up there on the screen here. You can see 
how we have the, our episode that we're going to be specifically looking at, and then they have up here the surrounding episodes. Let's first look at Luke 10, 38 to 42. Who could read that for us? Luke 10, starting in verse 38. Now, as they were traveling along, he entered a village, and a woman named Martha came, welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only one thing is necessary, for Martha has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. All right. Thank you, Aaron. So these are the questions I want you to ask as you just heard this episode. What is the main idea of this story? What is the main idea? Okay, I'm going to change that so you don't cheat. <laughs> Let's see if you can figure it out. Maybe you already looked. What is the main idea? What does this story teach me about Jesus? What does Jesus teach in this story? And what do I learn from Jesus' actions captured in this story? So the first question is, when you read this, what is the main idea that immediately comes from this story? If anybody wants to take a crack at that. And Mary... But ultimately, what did I say? We want to focus on what Jesus is teaching, what we learn about Jesus, and what we can gather about him here. What does Jesus ultimately teach here? Erica said that, that our life should be focused on Jesus. Even though there are a number of good things that we can be involved in, even here at church, we can be serving in a, a number of capacities the main thing that Jesus is teaching in this episode is that he wants to focus, he wants our attention to be focused on him, on his words, on his teachings, and forget about all the other distractions that might take us away from him and focus on him. So we take this episode, and what they say here is here we discover, and I'll go back, here we discover the principle that doing good things for God can sometimes cause us to miss God himself. We can be busybodies. We can be doing so many other things, but God wants us to focus on him. Martha's desire to put on a feast for Jesus, which is not in itself necessarily a bad thing, she has a servant's heart, causes her, however, to miss the best thing, which Mary was doing, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Jesus. And so that's what we do. We take this small episode. What does it teach us about Jesus? What is the main idea that the author is getting across to us? Instead of looking at all the fine details, which you want to look at, but what is the big picture from the life and teachings of Jesus? Now, step two of what we want to do is we don't want to just isolate that one single passage. We want to look at other passages that surround that single passage to see what the author is wanting to tell us in regards to how he strings these episodes together. 
okay? We've talked a lot about this a lot. When you read something, when you're reading a book, when you're reading a recipe, when you're reading an email from a friend, you don't just start in the middle of that message. You look at the entire thing to grasp what someone is conveying to you. So what we want to do is look at Luke 10, 25 to 37, which is before the Martha and Mary episode. And then we want to look at Luke 11, 1 to 13. Now, what I want you to do right now, we just studied Luke 10, 38. Look by yourself right now. Take a couple minutes. I'm going to stop talking. You don't necessarily have to read it entirely because that will take time. But look at Luke 10, 25 to 37. Scan it. Figure out what it's ultimately about. And then look at Luke 11, 1 to 13, scan it, and try to figure out what those episodes are teaching about Jesus and what the main idea is, and then we'll come back and figure out how they all work together, okay? All right. I know there are longer passages, and we won't be able to read them all in detail, but you're very familiar, familiar with the, pre, the first one, and that is the story, the parable about the Good Samaritan. And then Luke chapter 11, Jesus is talking about prayer because his disciples ask him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John also, and the Lord proceeds to tell them about prayer. Now, they seem like at first glance, or if you read them in a cursory manner, that they might seem disjointed or disconnected. But Luke here has, he's intentional. Uh, there's a reason why they are connected. Are there any common themes that you picked up from all three of these episodes and what Luke is trying to communicate to us from all three of them? Now, they're very different in nature. They each are different stories, but what is Luke communicating to us what is a common thread here between all of them? Did anybody pick it up? And, you know, we might have some different answers. There might be some different things that you pick up, and that's the beauty of God's word. There are so many things to learn. But anybody want to try sharing what you see here? All three uh, episodes have questions posed to Jesus, and uh, uh, his response is, pretty forthright on yeah. the application of the things that the people are questioning him about. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't hold back. So that's a very good observation. In each episode, Jesus is posed with a question. He's, he's asked a question, and this often occurs, and he responds, responds by teaching them. Um, and sometimes he uses parables. He uses earthly stories to convey truth which helps people to remember and understand what he is saying. Anything else that you see here? Any connections? I don't think this is what you're looking for, but all of them are connected to God's will, and that yeah. it's not just what we do, but it's that we do it in his will. Okay. So. Yeah. So it's obeying what Christ is teaching here, right? Loving your neighbor, who's my neighbor, abiding by what Jesus is teaching, Martha and Mary listening to Jesus, and chapter 11, praying to the Father, being persistent in prayer. Yeah, good observation. Dylan. 
It's just interesting. Uh, first, there's the teaching of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Um, second of all, there's the communion with Jesus. And third of all, there's the prayer uh, component. Communication okay. uh, with um, within the perspective of our relationship with Christ yeah. is paramount. Okay. I think Dylan hit a key word here, and that was relationship. And um, there are other things here we can learn as well. And you might come to a different conclusion, but this is what they have told us. In Luke 10, 25, with the Good Samaritan, it says, we see the principle that love for one's neighbor should transcend all human boundaries, such as nationality, race, religion, or economic status. Okay? In Luke 10, 38, the episode of Martha and Mary, we see here we discover the principle that doing good things for God can sometimes cause us to miss God himself. Martha's desire to put on a feast for Jesus causes her to miss the best thing, listening to Jesus. And Luke 11, 1 to 13, it says Jesus teaches us how to communicate with God through prayer. This is followed by a parable on prayer and an exhortation to pray. So when we combine all three of these, even though they're all three different episodes, in each one we learn something different about Jesus, who is the main character, but then this is the overarching theme as we combine all three, and this is what it says. The common theme seems to be relationships. In the first story, we are told that followers of Jesus should be loving neighbors to people in need. In our second story, we are taught that listening to Jesus should take priority over religious activity. And finally, Luke emphasizes our relationship to God in 11, 1 to 13. Followers of Jesus need to know how to relate to their neighbors, service, how to relate to their Lord, devotion, that's Martha and Mary, and how to relate to their father, prayer. Okay, I don't know if you've ever looked at the Gospels this way, but it's a very helpful way to help us understand what the author is driving home. Okay, and we'll get to the next part. So again, two questions that you want to ask when it comes to reading the episodes in the Gospels. Two main questions. There are other questions, and we're going to get to that, but two main questions up front. What, number one, What is taught in each episode? What is taught in each episode? And you're going to have to slow down. You don't want to rush through any episode. And uh, what is this episode teaching primarily about Jesus? And number two, what is taught by the way the episodes are linked together to form the larger story? Okay, so what we're going to do now, we looked at these Luke examples. Let's dive down a little deeper. Let's look at one other specific episode. And we're going to figure out what are some other questions, right? We want to be investigators. We want to kind of interrogate the episode, ask lots of questions. You know, break down the sentences. Look for key words. Look for conversations, Look for the main theme. There's so much to look at. I want you to turn to Mark chapter 4. And by the way, some of this stuff that I have up here on the screen is in your book, but not everything up here on the screen is in the book, but some things are just so you can look at it again. 
Let's look at Mark chapter 4, and I think for the remainder of our time today, this is what we're primarily going to focus on, Mark 4. And we're going to start at verse 35 and finish at verse 41. We're also going to look at surrounding context, but let's first start with this singular episode. Let's look at the broader questions. What is this episode teaching? What does it show us about Jesus? And then we'll also look at how does this relate to the surrounding episodes, the surrounding context. Um, So now we're asking how to read individual stories, okay? Um, The first thing we want to do is, number one, ask standard questions that you would ask of any story. How many here like to read Fiction. When you're reading a fictional story, and it doesn't have to be fiction, it can be nonfiction as well, one of the things you're trying to use to discover what the author is trying to tell me is are the basic who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. Well, you can apply those same questions to the Gospels. So I want someone, if you could, read Mark 4, 35 to 41, And then we'll talk about these various questions, guidelines that you can follow to best interpret that passage. Who would like to read this passage? 35 to 41. And on that day, when evening came, he said, Let us go over to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and the other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boats, so that the boat was already filling up. And Jesus himself was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. And they got up, got him up, <coughs> and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?" And he woke up and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, "Silence, be still." And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, "Why are you so cowardly?" Do you still have no faith? And they became very afraid and were saying to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Very profound story, right? Sometimes I'm I'm sure all of us are familiar with that story. How many of us have really stopped and really chewed on the details here and maybe even considered what it would have been like putting yourself in the position of the disciples, being on the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night with the roaring waves, the, the blowing winds, and you look at the stern and what's going on there. Jesus is sleeping. And your, your response is, we're going to die. And here is Jesus sleeping I mean, that's how I feel. I, I'm, I, there was a point in my life when I was a little afraid of flying. This was many years ago when I used to do a lot, a lot of flying. Excuse me. And I would always look, you know, right before we took off and the engines were turned on and we went down the highway and I'd look at the person next to me. Sometimes it was Jyoti. And they would be sleeping. And I'd be, I'd be shaking in my boots. I'm like, we're all going to die here, you know. This plane's going to crash and this person's next to me is sleeping, you know. So that's what they see here. They see Jesus sleeping. But at first glance, when you read this, when you think about what's going on here, what's the big picture? What's the main idea? What is this episode teaching about Jesus? Who wants to try, try that? And then we're going to put to practice some of these guidelines. But thinking about what we just talked about, 
I'll get to that. First of all, what do you see here about Jesus? I see a, I see a few things. Anybody? Yes, Jonathan. I just see uh, just the kind of first uh, idea I could see is that uh, God's powerful enough. Uh, why worry on things? Very good. Very good. Love it. God is powerful enough. Why worry? <laughs> Great answer. Anything else? Yes, Sherry. Interesting, because he rebuked the waves and the wind. Yeah. Before he then rebuked the disciples. Right. I think that's interesting. Yes. And I also think it um, speaks volumes about who the disciples saw Jesus to be. Mm-hmm. Because they weren't saying, please help. They were saying, don't you care? Right. I think that's really an They're interesting... accusing him. They really like were. He's indifferent. Yeah. How could he? Yeah, like when Lazarus dead. If yeah. you'd been here. I mean, right. So that tells us something about how they interacted with Jesus. Yeah. So you, you looked at, you learned something about Jesus by also looking at the disciples and how they responded to him. And that's a really good observation. Yeah. Okay. Anyone else? What do we see about Jesus? Yes, Bob. I think the story does a nice job. You see both sides of Jesus. Right. He's been, he's been teaching all day. He's exhausted. And he falls asleep in the, yes. on the back of the boat. At the same time, he gets up, he rebukes the wind, and just like that, it's done. He's, he's, it's whole, he's really God. He's really man. All in one picture. Amen. Thank you. We see his humanity on display. He's tired. He's exhausted. So much so that he can sleep in the middle of a storm, in the middle of a lake. And then we see the powerful exertion of his divinity on display. And then we see even more fear. The fear that the disciples had over the storm transformed to the fear of, who is this? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Excellent observations. Anybody else? Great. Thank you. Okay. So here are some interpretive guidelines. And I encourage you to write these down if you have a pen and paper. Um, These are just some helps. These are some things that when you're reading tomorrow morning or whenever you read your Bible, you know, have a pen and paper. Ask questions. Put on your Sherlock Holmes hat and start to investigate. Really look. Dig down. Don't just read it and say, I'm done with my devotions today and forget about it. Really, really try to grasp uh, the meaning that the authors are trying to tell us. Okay, the first thing you want to do is ask, I'm going to put it here, Ask the standard questions that you should ask of any story. I already mentioned this. Who, what, when, where, why, and how questions. Let's, let's apply this to Mark 4. Who? Okay, and this is where we probably won't be able to hand out the microphone because this is going to be fast. If you could just shout it out, who are the characters in the story? Jesus? Disciples? How about verse 36? Right, they're not prominent. They're left behind. He was speaking to the crowds before at the beginning of chapter 4, telling them about parables, right? He was sitting at the edge of the, the lake, teaching them about the parable of the sower and what the kingdom of God is like. Okay, so that's the first question you want to ask. Who are the people here? Jesus, disciples, and the crowd. Next is what? What is going on here? What is the storyline? What is being conveyed here? So 
Speak it. Speak to me here. What are some of the details of the story? What's going on? Jesus is at peace and sleeping. Yep. What else? They're in the boat crossing a stormy lake. What else is happening? The disciples wake Jesus. Again, he's sleeping. Jesus rebukes the storm. That's a what? He, he rebukes the disciples for their lack of faith, right? Two rebukings here. Two shellackings. <laughs> the disciples are terrified by Jesus. That's a what? So you just go through it one verse at a time. What is this saying to us? All right? How about when? When did this happen? The time period, the, the, the sequence, yeah. Evening. Is that important to the story? Is the time, sometimes the time is important. Think of John chapter 3, speaking of evening or when it was dark, what happened? Nicodemus came to Jesus. Ooh, what is that about? A religious leader going undercover because he doesn't want anyone to see me? It's evening here. What else? Anything else about time or when? Yes. I mean, a full day of teaching. If I preach for an hour, I go home, I'm pretty tired. I can imagine Jesus teaching all day. Yeah, have you ever taught for a long period of time? It's exhausting. Other things regarding time, it happens during the storm. Jesus is sleeping. After Jesus rebukes the wind, the sea grows calm. After stilling the storm, Jesus asks his disciples a couple of tough questions. After the calming of the storm and Jesus' questions, the disciples are terrified. So not are, are you only looking for a time marker, like what time of day or what month or what season, but the sequence of events. How does the author convey through time his message? How about where? The place. Geography is very important in the Bible, and if you don't have an atlas or a map of the Bible, like in the back of your Bible, get one. You can, you can look and, and get an idea in your mind, where is this taking place? How about where? It's pretty easy. Sea of Galilee, which is in the northern part of Israel. Where are they going? The other side. Anybody know what the other side is? Gerasenes, I heard that. I heard someone whisper that over here, right? It's, it's a predominantly Gentile region. That's where the Decapolis is, the 10 cities, which it was pretty much governed by Roman authorities. So Jesus is leaving a predominantly Jewish area. They're in the middle of the lake. They have this episode, and they're crossing over to a very different area from where they were. How about why? Why are they crossing? Why? These, these are some of the biggest questions you can ask. It's the so what, why, why is this stuff happening? Why, um, why did the disciples wake up Jesus? They were afraid. They're, yep, they're afraid and they're angry at him even. How dare him? Um, the wind and the waves calm down because of Jesus' rebuke. Why do they calm down? Did the storm just end? No, Jesus has rebuked them. Um, the disciples are terrified because, it's the because questions that you want to ask. They are terrified, why? Because they realize there's someone in this boat that is far different than us. Yeah, he, he has human flesh, but there's something different about them. That's why they ask the question, who is this? 
And then we ask the how, the means by which the author is conveying his message. The disciples here are some, some, some how answers, the means. The disciples use a question to rebuke Jesus. We, we see a lot of questions here. Jesus calms the stormy sea by his word. How does he do it? By speaking. Hmm, that should bring us back to maybe Genesis 1, that God can speak things into existence. God, he is the word, John 1, 1. Jesus uses questions, as we see here, to rebuke the disciples. Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? A lot of questions here. One of the best ways you can teach people is asking questions. It makes them provide an answer and think through what you are teaching. Um, the disciples verbalize their fear in the storm in the form of questions about Jesus. They're, they're not saying, my goodness, that was amazing. No, they said, who is this? So you're looking for the ways in, by which the, the author conveys his message. What kind of literary devices does he use? Ask those how questions. Okay, next, look for, second, look for interpreted, interpretive instructions from the author himself. Look for interpretive instructions from the author himself. Often a gospel writer will help readers see his point by offering clues in the story's introduction. So is the author himself, not Jesus, not the characters, but is the author giving a description? Does he say something to us, like an instruction or an interpretive whatever, uh, reason for why this is happening? Um, he, the author might say something like this. Take Luke 14.7, for example. Luke 14.7. Um, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and Jesus and the author says this. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. Right there in Luke 14.7, the author is giving us a hint about the main thrust of what Jesus is about to teach. And this is it. Without even hearing the parable, you can guess that it will have something to do with spiritual pride or humility or both. Take, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. What does the author, Matthew, tell us about something that Jesus is going to teach regarding the Sermon on the Mount? The Sermon on the Mount has come through a lot of investigation. What is Jesus really teaching here? Well, Matthew gives us a clue in Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2 which says this, Matthew 5, verses 1 and 2. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Okay, there were crowds. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. So from that point on, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, we can gather from the author that Jesus is going to teach his disciples. He's not talking to people outside of discipleship, but those who are already following him. And that gives us a clue that Matthew 5 to 7 is speaking something about discipleship. What it means to be a follower of Christ in the kingdom of God. What our outlook should be, how we should obey God, and so forth. Okay? So that's at the beginning of Jesus' teachings or at the beginning of a passage. 
But there's other things in regarding to interpretive instructions from the author. Look at the conclusions. Is there anything in the conclusion of the episode that the author gives us to summarize what was being taught? For example, in Mark 4, in our passage, what is the final thing that is said in verse 41? They became very much afraid and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the, and the sea obey him? Mark is giving us a clue here that he wants the readers to understand something about Jesus. Who is this? And then in the next episodes, in the rest of, in chapter 5, kind of like a, kind of like a shotgun, you know, he's going to give all of these, you know, bullet points of who Jesus is. And by the power that he exerts and the miracles that he accomplishes. Okay, so look at the beginning, look at the end, look for these interpretive instructions. Um, and what we find out at the end of Mark 4 is that Jesus is divine. He has divine authority. Uh, we could go on uh, in regards to other examples. I want to be attentive to time here because uh, there's a number of more things that we want to look at in Mark 4. There are also, in relation to the second one, there are some parenthetical. If you see parent, uh, parentheses in the episode, that's a clue to you that the author is um, putting some information to help you grasp what is he trying to say here. Here's an example. Write this down. It's a long episode. We won't go here. But in Mark chapter 7, Mark 7, verses 1 to 23, the Pharisees are getting after Jesus and... Um, and the disciples about the law and ritual purity and eating foods. And Jesus teaches them that it's not about the foods you eat. It's not about what is on the outside, but what's on in the heart that describes what kind of person you are. And there's a parenthesis there in verse 19 where Mark adds these words. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Hmm. The author is giving us a clue about the meaning of this passage, okay? So look for those. The third thing you want to do is take special note of anything that is repeated in the story. Repetition is a very common literary device in the Bible. They didn't have exclamation points in Greek or Hebrew. They didn't embolden the words or sentences. They didn't underline things to get our attention what they used frequently is repetition, repetition. So things that you can look for are words that are repeated over and over, words. Take, for example, John 15, where Jesus is talking about remaining in him, abiding in him. The key word that we see six or seven times in John 15 is what? Abide in me, abide in me, abide in me over and over. And you look at that and you go, oh, what is Jesus teaching about? Stay connected to him and you will bear fruit. Abide in him. So look for those repeated phrases or words. In Matthew 23, for example, we see a side of Jesus where he is rebuking the Pharisees. And what does he say over and over again? Woe to you. Woe to you. We see Jesus rebuking them for their 
hypocrisy and their religiosity because they won't receive him as the Messiah and repent and confess him. In Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, what do we see Jesus saying before he teaches about murder or adultery? We see him saying this over and over. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. Right? He is giving them uh, a fuller understanding of the Old Testament about the law. He's talking about the spiritual aspect as well. It's not just you committing adultery. It's also what you think in your heart, but I say to you. So when the gospel writers repeat a word or a theme or when particular characters of that passage figure prominently, make sure you pay attention. Wake up, okay? Authors use repetition to signal an important truth and you do not want to miss it. Um, we don't have time for this, but if you want to write it down and look at this later on your own and just take a pencil or a pen. I don't know if you like writing in your Bible. If not, you can print it out and try it yourself. Take Luke 12, 22 to 34. Luke 12, 22 to 34, and underline words or phrases that repeat the theme that Jesus is teaching there, okay? And it's about not worrying in your life and trusting him and trusting Father to provide everything you need. And to give you a clue, what you see over and over and over there in that passage is the word you. Jesus keeps saying you multiple times. You, you, your life, your life, don't worry. And he uses that word worry a lot. And then he talks about God and the Father, the one who is your provider. So look for those key words. That's how the author teaches us. Okay, the next thing, the fourth thing that you want to do is be alert for places where the story shifts to direct discourse. A lot of times you can figure out what the theological principle is, what the main idea of the story is, by the way the characters converse. And that's a great way to learn. We're, we all talk to we want one another. We ask questions. We get to know each other by conversing, by dialoguing. And we see that happening a lot in the Gospels. There are a lot. We see that happening in Mark chapter 4 here, where Jesus is in the boat. The disciples talk to him. Jesus talks to them. There are questions. There are responses. And through that dialogue is how we figure out the meaning of the story. Look at Mark 4.35 again to 41. We can pretty much figure out the heart of the story by what they're saying. Verse 35, Jesus says, let us go over to the other side. If you go down a couple verses, verse 38, teacher, these are the disciples, don't you care if we drown? Verse 39, Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still. Verse 40, Jesus asks a question, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Verse 41, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. I mean, just from that dialogue alone, we can figure out and interpret the main meaning of the story. Does that make sense to you? So look for dialogue. That's a wonderful way for the author, that's a wonderful literary device for the author to convey the theological principle about what he's trying to teach. We see another example in Jesus' transfi transfiguration, excuse me, where all of a sudden, 
after Moses and Elijah appear and Jesus appears in his glory and he's shining bright white and then all of a sudden what happens God the Father speaks and what does he say this is my son whom I love with him I am well pleased listen to him and we get a clue from that quote from God the Father what the author is teaching. Listen to Jesus. Focus on him. Yes, he is about to be crucified, but I'm giving my authority, I'm telling you to just trust in him. So what is the author saying by using dialogue? We see in John 4, Jesus talking to a Samaritan woman, a Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman at the well, and almost the entire episode is dialogue, and we learn a number of key things about what Jesus is saying through dialogue. Okay, so let's, and I gave a number, a number of other things that you can do here. Um, you can look for Old Testament allusions or direct quotes. We see this especially in the Gospel of Matthew. What quotes are they using from the Old Testament to help the reader understand what he is saying? Sometimes you'll have to go back to the Old Testament to figure out why is Matthew saying that Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah said? So look for that as well. I also have this. This is not in the book. These are things that I put here. Always interpret the passage in its original context. We've been saying that over and over and over again. Um, but to understand supplemental details that might help you understand the passage, look at other Gospels to see what details are there, and not only in the Gospel you are reading. So Ronaldo talked about this a couple of weeks ago. First, you want to look uh, vertically. You want to understand what Mark is saying here in this Mark 4 passage before you look at Matthew or Luke. But those other passages from the other Gospels will supply other details to help you get the fuller picture of what the author is conveying. And then look for cultural elements. You might need uh, some kind of book to help you, a commentary uh, to help you understand cultural elements that are being conveyed in the passage. Look at geography. That helps you as well, especially in our episode. You want to understand that, like on the Sea of Galilee, there would be massive storms that happened. These weren't little waves that the disciples were dealing with. So because the Sea of Galilee was surrounded by other hills and mountains, the winds would get caught up in the sea and stir it up, and that would produce massive waves and make it very windy. And that helps you understand the passage even more. Okay, so when trying to identify theological principles in individual stories, we must first ask the standard narrative questions. Number two, pay attention to the author's own interpretive instructions. Number three, note what is repeated and concentrate on uh, direct discourse within the story. All right, so Mark 4, 35 to 41, they say could be summarized as follows. Jesus exerts his power over the sea and responds to the storm himself by trusting the Father during a difficult circumstance. 
All right, Jesus exerts his power. We see his power. He's in control over the sea and the waves and he responds to the storm himself by trusting. So this story not only teaches us about the power of Jesus, but it also teaches us that we must have faith in him and trust him because of who he is. Now the final thing that you want to do here is not only look at the episode itself, but like what we did in the beginning is you want to look at the surrounding stories. Look at the surrounding stories to see is there anything the author is telling us by the subsequent or the previous stories. So what is the gospel writer trying to say by the way he strings together the individual stories? There are some things that you want to look for as you read between each story, and some of these are connections. And the authors tell us from Grasping God's Word, the most important thing to do when reading a series of stories is to, number one, look for connections. Look for connections. Look for common themes or patterns. Search for logical connections like cause and effect. Pay attention to how episodes are joined together such as transitional statements or conjunctions. Notice how the stories differ at key points. All the stories are different, I mean, are are similar, but what are some differences between each one? Compare the characters and primarily pay attention, close attention to Jesus, who is the main character of the story. Like I said earlier, when we're focusing on Jesus, what do you want to focus on? Focus on his identity, focus on his mission, his teaching, and responses to him. Look at the connections between the stories before and the stories after, and what are all of these stories teaching about Jesus. Now, we have about five, six minutes left. I want you to quickly look at the stories following uh, Mark 4, 35 to 41, And quickly look, take a minute, and look at Mark 5. And I want you, just like what we did in the passages in Luke, look at what Mark is teaching in Mark 5. All the way up until Mark 6, verse 6. Just glance through that. What are some of the primary episodes there? All right. So we know from our passage, Mark 4, 35 to 41, it's up here on the screen. You can take a look at it. We see here that Jesus exerts his power over the sea and responds with faith during a difficult circumstance. But then what do we see in Mark 5, verses 1 to 20, when they get to the other side of the lake? We see there, another familiar passage, Jesus casts out a legion of demons, restores a man to his right mind, and sends him out as a faithful follower. And then after that, in Mark 5, 24 to 34, we see Jesus, and you you can see that what we have here, it's all about what Jesus is doing. Jesus heals the woman with the hemorrhage who, because of faith, touched him, then confessed him publicly. And then finally, in Mark 5, 21 to 24, and Mark 5, 35 to 43, we see Jesus raises the daughter of Jairus from the dead in the presence of Peter, James, John, and the girl's parents. 
So even though these are different episodes and they each teach something a little bit different, there's a main theme in each one, we can see an overarching theme that connects all of them. And what is that as we connect them all? And it says there on the bottom, through his mighty works, Jesus shows himself sovereign over the forces that are hostile to God. He's sovereign. He's powerful. That's what we see in every episode. Jesus is sovereign over the nature. He's sovereign over the demonic realm. He is sovereign over diseases and he is sovereign over death because he deals with all of them and then it goes on. Demons, disease, and death strike fear and hopelessness into the hearts of people. Mark's first century readers, we have to remember who Mark is writing to, they were facing persecution and hostility. Through this series of stories, Jesus assures them, or Mark assures them, that Jesus has power over everything they fear. He can calm the sea, he can cast out demons, he can heal diseases, and he can raise the dead. They should trust him in the midst of the desperate situations of life. So do you see how all of these episodes connect? First, you want to interpret them individually. Figure out the details. What does each one speak about? What is the theological principle? What is this showing about Jesus that maybe another one doesn't teach us? And then combine them together and see what Mark is teaching us. The number one thing he's teaching us here is life is hard. Life is hard. People experience the threat of death, disease, and death itself. But then he teaches that Jesus is sovereign over all of these things. And then because of that, Mark teaches us that we must trust Jesus. We must have faith in him. And that's the common thread in all of these. The disciples lacked faith and Jesus had to rebuke them. But then we see the, the Gerasene demoniac and he had faith and Jesus healed him and he had faith to go out to the rest of where he lived to proclaim Jesus and then we see the story of the woman who was hemorrhaging for 12 years. She had so much faith that she wanted to touch the cloak of Jesus because she knew there was power in him and he healed her. Power went from him. And then finally we see Jesus raising Jairus' daughter who was 12 years old from the dead. So pretty amazing. And that's what's exciting about um, the word of God. It's all interconnected. You don't want to um, isolate each event, each episode from one another. They're all connected. There's a cohesive point that the author is attempting to get across. Um, and then in, in chapter 6 of Mark, we see Jesus going to his hometown of Nazareth, and this connects to the previous verses as well. And those people lacked faith. And Jesus couldn't do any miracles there because of their lack of faith. For, so for an entire chapter and a half, Jesus is showing his miraculous powers. There are those who have faith and there are those who don't. And Mark is saying, trust in Jesus. For he is all-powerful. He is sovereign over every single circumstance you might find yourself in. Okay, it's past 10. <laughs> But the final thing that you want to do, and I'm going to share this quickly. You want to apply the messages of the gospel. 
You don't just look for all these interpretive clues and ask all these questions and try to figure out the context and how they all connect with one another. How do these episodes apply to my life? Okay, is there something here that Mark is wanting to tell his original readers and does that, does that uh, affect me in any way? Okay, and there are a couple things. It's the so what. What does this mean to me? What does this mean to me? What's a legitimate application of Mark 10? I'm sorry, Mark 4. Well, I just said it. Life is hard. We all agree to that, right? We all have to experience sickness. We're all going to experience death at one point. We all go through challenging situations. So we understand that that passage is teaching us that life is difficult. But what's the second thing? God is sovereign. We have to understand that he is sovereign over every single circumstance of our life, just as we see in Mark 4 and Mark 5. And finally, we have to have faith in God. So first you want to figure out the theological principle, what it's teaching about Jesus, but how does this relate to me? Even though I might be facing death, even though I might be facing this circumstance today, I know that God has allowed it and God will get me through it, but I have to put wholehearted trust in him. All right? So let's pray and finish up today's equipping hour. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that uh, your word is clear and that you have given us the tools to be able to comprehend what you are teaching us through your word, through the authors that you have chosen to write these gospels. I pray, Lord, that all of us will take this seriously, that we will be able to delve uh, into the depth of your word and be able to comprehend the true meaning behind it. Lord, take these things that we were taught today and I pray that each and every day throughout the week that we would apply them, not just in our study, but also in our life, so that the word would transform the way we live. I pray for the rest of today, Lord, the rest of our service. We pray that all of our hearts would seek you, just like Mary sought you and sat at your feet, that we would be attentive to your word, and that we would worship you and trust you, for you are sovereign. Thank you once again for the ability that we have to learn, study, and be with one, one another today. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen.